With my apologies to the children who remain with us in the room this morning, let me say this, that if you listen carefully to people and a lot of messages that are put out in all sorts of different manner of media, there is an odd paradox in the time and place that we live regarding children. And here's the twofold message, that children are a nuisance and children are the center of the universe. Some of you are new this morning, so I'll let you know, I have a larger family than most in the Silicon Valley in the year 2017. As you hang out with parents at parks and do different things, I was timing at a swim meet yesterday morning, inevitably it comes up, well, how many kids do you have? And it's an interesting question that I like to play with once in a while, but here's the truth be told, I have nine kids. And everyone goes, nine kids? And then, and then they say this. They often say this, they say, why would you do that? I mean, in their most honest moments, if you play golf with guys and they've had a few, then it really comes out. They just, there's no filter. They just go, why did you do that? Why would you have nine kids? And the two things that I get the most are this. Sometimes these are true, these are true responses. You know, you get people who say with nine kids, you can't go off to Vegas on like just a, a quick unplanned trip, can you? And I go, well, I could, but we don't often go to unplanned trips to Vegas randomly. No, we don't typically do that. What is he saying? He's saying, in essence, children are a nuisance. Children get in the way of you getting to go have unplanned trips to Vegas. I also get this comment. Uh, people say, why would you do that? And then they give some sort of message along these lines that you can't give, you can't possibly give nine kids all that they need. And what that presupposes is that children need a private education, all manner of extracurricular activity, and unlimited, undivided attention all the time. Center of the universe. So I get this a lot If you listen for these two messages, you will hear these coming out a lot. Children are a nuisance. Children are the center of the universe. Listen carefully to Proverbs 12.7. It says this, The wicked die and disappear, but the family of the godly stands firm. I ask myself first this question this morning. Am I investing in something that will die and disappear, or am I investing in something and in a manner in which it will stand firm for eternity? I ask you the same. Whether you have children or not is not the point. It's, it's whether or not you are part of a family. We talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. Everyone is a part of the family. You want to know someone's backstory, it starts with this. Hey, do you have any family in the area? If they launch into an excited discussion about the last family barbecue they had two weeks ago, uh, that tells you something about them. If they look down in a way and change the subject and say, well, no real family to speak of, you can, you can tell sort of the family dynamic that's going on in that person's life. We all have family. If you're new with us, let me just share that this summer has been about being in this series called Heading. And Heading is 
a series about where are we headed as a church, where are we going, what course are we setting. It's been a long season for leadership and us as a church family of just humility and saying, God, we're open-handed. This is your church. You're building the church. Uh, as shepherds of the church, we say, God, these are your sheep. You love them. You died for the church. You care for the church. You're growing the church. You empower the church. So what do you want done with your church? And in this season of open-handed humility, we've had great joy to see incredible unity amongst the leadership as we've prayed and sought God's face. God, what do you want us to stop doing? God, what do you want us to run hard after? Help us to set our priorities that align with what you're doing today in this location. It's also, though, been uh, a season of hungering for God's special power to come over us as his church family to really uh, equip us and, and, and encourage us to carry out the heading. We've been saying all along with heading that that setting a heading for a journey is really important, but far more important is persevering and actually going somewhere and taking the journey together. We've been doing two laps on each of these, simple family and gifts, and today is lap two on the family. Uh, what we talked about was in lap one, just to kind of catch you up uh, or remind you of something is, is, is this, that there are forces against living as the family of God. There are forces against the family that we're trying to lift up. First Peter 5, 8 says this, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And Ephesians 6 puts it this way, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I would put forward to you that no institution in America is more under attack against the devil's schemes and prowling than the family. There's also some obstacles that come when we start using family language in the church. And we are going to use family language in the church because God's revealed himself in familial terms. And he's used the the biblical metaphor that, that God's people are his family. One is a destructive view of family. The divorce culture that many of us were born into and, and see all the time permeates our thinking. And so we can bring those unhealthy pictures to the church. Is there a commitment? Of course there is. But where's my prenup? I want to make sure I can get out of this thing. Where's the loophole? I don't want to commit for a lifetime. So that seeps into our churches. If your own earthly father and siblings were abusive, then you need God's special favor to redeem the word father so that every time we sing to father, your skin doesn't just kind of crawl with pain and hurtful memories. And I want you to just look around for a second. Don't look at me. Look around. The people sitting near you, I have a special vantage point up here. I know many of your stories. The people that you are sitting around have experienced miracles in their life as God has redeemed the word brother and sister to be something that they celebrate and look forward to. He's redeemed mother and father when their own mother and father, their biological mother and father, were very hurtful and broke every promise they ever made to them. It's a powerful picture to see that. That's number one. A second obstacle is doubt. You know, we're given promises in Scripture, but we must cling to those promises because there are spiritual forces coming against us to cause doubt. Every single person you ever meet is made in God's image. Therefore, they're, they're worthy of your attention. 
They're worthy of dignity and value and respect simply because the Creator saw fit to create them. However, every person that you see, while made in God's image, is not in God's family. You must be born again into God's family. Listen carefully to John chapter 1, Jesus talking. But to all, or not Jesus talking, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of any man, but of God. Here's what this means. Think about this carefully for a minute. In the family of God, there are no outsiders. There's no sort of second-tier circle that people are sitting in. You belong in the family of God. Now, I bring that up because of this. I have never struggled or wondered if I am welcomed at church. This is sort of like a family barbecue. This is a family gathering. I've never struggled for my whole life, from the time I was young, to wonder, am I welcome at the family gathering? I've just never wrestled with that. Many, many people do. And what's happening is they are doubting. They're coming under attack. Their brain is coming under attack to say, you're not even welcome here. You don't belong here. And the truth of Scripture sheds light on the reality. Those who are born again into God's family, you weren't born of your will or any other person's will. It was the will of God that opened your eyes, caused you to be born again. You belong in the family of God. That's a promise we must cling to. Why? Because doubt seeps in. Here's another way that doubt challenges us. Those of us who are in families, whether you're a parent or a kid living at home right now, you are challenged with the truth of Scripture to behave a certain way, to do certain things. And it takes perseverance to follow through on those commitments. The family is a key battle area for the soul. Great good can come as children are nurtured and brought up in the ways of the Lord. And great destruction follows when the home is simply yielded to doing the best we can in the flesh. You know what doing the best we can in the flesh yields to? It yields to destruction. We know this. Obstacle three is division. Remember, do the hard work of getting along. Uh, Since I said that a few weeks ago, I have said that in my family van driving somewhere. Hey, guys, let's stop. Let's pray before we go take this trip. And let's ask God for the strength to do the hard work of getting along. Sometimes getting along is easy. Praise God for that. Those are good seasons. Sometimes getting along is really, really, really hard, especially when it's hot. Anyone else tracking with that? It's just true. It makes it harder. Hot or hungry and it gets worse. Division is a lurking obstacle for any and all families. And families must fight for unity and intentionally maintain closeness. That's all by way of review. Here's the conclusion we drove to. It's this, that at Neighborhood Bible Church, we will live as a family and we will lift up families. That is, we will come around and support families. Here's the scripture that we looked at, and let me just draw your attention to it one more time. First Timothy 3.14 says this, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, I may, that, that you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. This is an incredibly powerful promise. We can know because God has revealed it. It's not enough to just do things off of instinct. Do what comes natural. 
The landscape is littered with relational roadkill because people were just doing the best that they could. God has laid out a better way. Secondly, we will lift up the family. Part two of this verse says, which is the church. In case you're unclear about what the household of God is, it's the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Friends, because we know what an ideal family ought to be, what we are striving for, we are going to unapologetically, joyfully, and confidently hold up the mirror of truth to families. And catch this, this is really important. We're going to start with our own family. As we are in the Word daily and we read how we ought to behave, we're going to hold up the mirror to our own individual households and that's going to overflow into just confident in a sovereign God, hold it up before each other in holding each other accountable to that and holding it out to the world. This is what God says family is. Friends, this is under attack right now. And we're going to do this because we love God and trust that his way is best. As you and I set our minds on the glorious realities that the truth shows us, here's what happens. Our will follows. Our will follows as God reveals in our minds what is true. Jesus said that uh, Jesus has the words of life. His disciples were going to turn away at one point, and, and they said, where else will we go? You alone have the words of life. Jesus has the words of life to your precious family as well. He has the words of life to what it means to be a church family. But it's not just our own household. I was uh, with my uncle uh, this last week, a, w- a week ago. Him and his two kids were out here, and they're from San Antonio, and they wanted to learn to surf. So we rented wetsuits and got out in the ocean and had an amazing time. And as we were catching up, and he was hearing about the church family and hearing about, about my knit family, he said, well, you really have two households that you're shepherding and caring for, don't you? And I go, yeah, that's an accurate picture. If you are a Christian here this morning, hear me. All of us are a part of two distinct families. One is our household, and one is the family of God. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and in this passage, you're going to see these two households come together. I think church growth strategy says you're not supposed to talk about sin and about rules and regulations. You're supposed to emphasize choice and do what feels good. I think that's the general strategy. We're going to blow that out of the water this morning, okay? So our church may shrink next week. I'm just going to give you fair warning. Uh, This is going against what all the experts say. But the Bible gives many clear rules and warnings and instruction for both your household family and the church family. And here's the promise the Bible gives. That blessing and life... Follow from obedience to God's laid out instructions, warnings, and rules. And that destruction and death are the result of disobedience. And a part of disobedience is simply ignoring and pretending that you don't hear or see. Because of that, I literally want to put out to you that life and death things are at stake 
as we open God's eternal word and read from the word and see some things. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 says this. Here's what I want to do. I'm not going to read this entire passage. I'm just going to draw out some things. And what I want you to see on the screen are I want you to see all the different family roles that are mentioned. And in red, I'm showing you that Paul, who's writing to this young pastor, Timothy, is merging the idea of your household, your family that you live with and do life with, apart from church, and and your church family. He's kind of molding these two together in this passage. So let me just highlight a few of these, okay? Uh, look at verse 6. He says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. There's one idea, that we're brothers and siblings in Christ. Look down at verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. That's a message to the young people. That's something that Timothy was. He was a brand new young pastor, and he was giving instruction for how he ought to behave as a young person. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Here's another category. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. Do you hear all the instruction for all the different categories of family members within the church here? Verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. Now listen to how detailed this instruction gets. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. People always want to come and know God's will. Oftentimes they're facing a big decision. Should I move here? Should I take this job? Should I go to this school? Should I date this person? Do you know part of, your, part of God's will that pleases him is this. Hey, is your mom or grandmom or someone in your extended family in need? Are you caring deeply for them? Are you ensuring that not just their physical needs are met in a home somewhere, but you're really wrapping around them and spiritually and emotionally and investing time in caring for them? Because if not, that's not pleasing to God. Go please God and do those things. That's God's will for your life. Let's move on. Verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, there's the idea again, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Verse 14 of chapter 5. So I would have the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. Do you hear the intensity of the warning here? We opened with these dark spiritual ideas that the family is under spiritual attack, active spiritual attack. And here's a warning that the family will always be in the crosshairs of Satan. Verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that they may care for those who are truly widows. As one of the shepherds of the church, let me just tell you, as people walk through our door off of the streets, which they do sometimes, as people come to me who've been attending or members of the church come and ask me, I ask because of this passage, I ask about their family. God's first safety net for your needs is your biological or extended family. So I ask about that. 
Because God's will is to say, that ought to be there. The church shouldn't just jump in and meet every single need without asking some difficult questions. Let me move on. Verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. A couple of thoughts there. Again, this is teaching the church. How are we to regard elders? This is a foreign concept to our youth-dominated, youth-obsessed culture that we live in, right? These are talking specifically about the shepherds of the church. This also clues people in who stand in my role that the, that the, the preaching of God's word, it, it precludes that there should be much labor to it. That there should be intensity to the work that goes on in instruction and in teaching. This is something we, we instill in community group leaders. It's not a cakewalk. We're not just facilitating discussion. Verse 19 says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. I've given you just a whole litany of, of examples from a couple of chapters here in the scriptures. Why am I drawing your attention to all of this? Here's why. Family life is not a free-for-all. Family life in your household, family life in the church of God, is not just everyone doing what's right in their own eyes, doing the best they can, doing what comes off of instinct. We are given clear instruction. We're given clear priorities. We're giving clear warning. So Neighborhood Bible Church, if you're visiting, you can disregard this. Neighborhood Bible Church, hear me clearly. I command you in the Lord to be quick and thorough and joyful in obeying what we read here. And let me just say this, Sunday mornings, we just cover a sliver of time. I'm taking the light and just shining it on a tiny portion of Scripture. As you read Scripture, as you daily feed on God's Word, and you read something, and it reads your life, and you say, wow, I've been doing family all wrong in this area. Let the conviction and warning of Christ fall on you. Repent, get up, and by God's grace, change your ways and start living and doing it in the, in the right way. When you bring those wrong ideas to church, repent individually. If you have others that you need to go and repent to, repent to them. This is what your church shepherds are doing as well. So church, quick, thorough, and joyful obedience. Let me say this, that being a family is filled with joy and sorrow and ease and difficulty. Being a family requires steering. It requires that you make adjustments along the way. Uh, many families are adrift. You ask them what they're really about as a family. They really can't have a vision beyond the comfort of next weekend or the next vacation. We put out that God has given our individual households and the church family a much higher goal and a destination that we should be striving to get to. I want everyone for a moment to think about your parents, your biological parents. You may have never met them. They may be dead and gone, but I want you to think in your mind about your parents right now. Your parents had or have issues. No one's, no one's doing this because just a polite crowd. But there's some hearty amens going on in your mind right now. You're like, preach! <laughs> I believe! Your parents are or were controlling and manipulative. Some were fearful. Some were moody. 
Many were insecure. Some of your parents are a wreck with money. Some of your parents are procrastinators. And some of them are liars. Is this because they were bad parents? No, this is because they were human parents. I challenge you to search the Bible and try to find great exemplary examples of parents. You'll be, you'll be hard-pressed to find shining examples of great parents. I mean, you could look at Mary and Joseph and say, well, Jesus turned out okay, but that's, that's cheating a little bit, I think, right? When I say that your parents were human, hear me clearly, I'm not excusing their sin. I'm not. I'm just trying to highlight a reality that family life is really hard. Being a parent is super difficult. This, this week I texted a friend and I just said, would you please pray? I'm having a very, very challenging time with one of my kids. And he texted back. He said, I'm praying for you, brother. And it's good to know it's not just mine. <laughs> I said, it's certainly not just your kids that are acting up and need help. It's not only hard to, to parent, it's hard to be parented, right? If you're a kid this morning living at home, you too are saying a hearty amen. It's hard to be parented. We just admitted that our parents are really screwed up. Guess what, kids? And I don't care what age you are, you're a kid. You're messed up too. Not only is it hard to parent, it's hard to be parented. So all of this to say this, I am super hopeful for both households and the church of God as family today. And here's why. You think, how can you be hopeful? Why should I be hopeful? You just told us there's demonic work, uh, forces working against us. There are urges and inconsistencies raging inside of us. And there are pressures mounting all around us. What on earth do we have to be hopeful about? Here's what we have to be hopeful about. Jesus conquered sin and death. God is on his throne and takes notice of everything. All sin is being worked out for God's justice. He's going to take care of it. The gospel works out in your family. If you are a Christian this morning, hear me clearly. You are able to forgive your dad for any and all sin because you are not father love poor. You are father love rich. Does that make sense? If you feel as a Christian under parental expectations to succeed or measure up, take great joy in the gospel. Jesus bore the shame on the cross. We don't, bore, we don't bear any more shame. We measure up. We are accepted by God and into God's family without trophies, without ribbons, without any grades on a report card, without the consistency that some of our parents so longed to drive into us. And it is a giant sigh of relief to know I'm accepted this morning. Parents, you are free from needing your kids' love at all cost, even at the cost of integrity and truth, because you are love rich in the Lord. Friends, we can 
live as family beyond our natural ability. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means that we are supernaturally capable of living as God has commanded us to live. I want you just to put down your pens for a minute and think about some things. I made this list. You can make your own by thinking about the scriptures, by praying, by holding your, your heart open to this. But, but think about what is possible. In the very best families, members don't shy away from the truth or shield other pe- people from painful reality. And yet, their speech is always geared toward the needs of other people, not for spitefulness or revenge. In the very best families, the normal attitude, temperature in the family is hopeful and long-suffering. In the very best families, younger members of the family take the wisdom and life experience of their elders and they take it to heart and they put it into practice. In the very best families, older members of the family dote on the younger ones, pouring in courage and words of hope and they always season that with huge doses of patience. In the very best families, patriarchs and matriarchs give leadership and don't shy away from difficult responsibility. In the very best family... Love that's poured out from God to the parents spills out onto the kids and floods the neighborhood and cities and work cubicles and classrooms that you attend. In the very best families, we refuse to become relationally poor in trying to become experientially rich. And in the very best families, we're more concentrated on the legacy that we're leaving than the inheritance that we are leaving. God, help us to be a great family for his glory. By God's power, we're able to do more than the best that we can. Let me have you write this down. We're going to live this by doing a couple of things moving forward. Number one is that we are going to embrace time together. There is no substitute for time together. You invest your time in what you think is most important. This matters. What we're doing right now matters. Just like a family meal gathering together. It doesn't mean that if you miss a family meal here or there that you're not part of the family or totally disconnected. Life happens. But you carve out time to say this matters. That gathering together on Sunday mornings on the Lord's Day is important to us. There's something that happens in God's generosity when God's people get together and we don't walk away from here going, wow, what a killer band. What awesome chairs we have. And the decor and the preaching and the friends I have there are amazing. You know what? You can get all that stuff way better elsewhere. That's not what we excel in. There's something that happens when we all lift our faces and say, God, we need you. We celebrate you. Would you meet with us here? And there's something powerful that happens as the church family gathers and we lift our gaze to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Secondly, community groups matter. The reason we have one major program at this church and we've said no to almost every other program is because we think community groups really matter. Many studies have have been done, but let me cite one. Church members who become involved in some type of group, hear this, are five times more likely to be active in their church five years from now compared to the group that are worship service attenders only. The conclusion I would draw from that is this. 
If you are in the worship attender only, there is statistically a very high likelihood that in five years you'll be disconnected or dropped out from your church family. Some of you can think back to your own family stories and say, yeah, I remember the day I stopped showing up at family meals. I remember the day I stopped coming to making it a priority to go to birthday parties and go to Thanksgiving and go to these things. And you can look at your own attendance, your physical presence there as a reason why you are disconnected from your family today. We expect and equip our community groups to essentially function like smaller versions of what we're doing right now. They meet in homes. They meet in classrooms at the church. Uh, they meet at Eric's Deli. Um, so, uh, so with this, um, we have a theme sort of each year. Last fall, we did this big on-ramp, and providentially, we came up with this theme, family time. Developing eternal relationships. The idea of developing means that time and effort are required over a period of time to develop something. It takes effort. We think of the church as kind of two wings. In the large group gatherings such as this, there's excitement and inspiration, and there's communion and baptism and baby dedications, all of which are better in a large, big group. There's also the taking up of offering. There's the using of spiritual gifts. Let me tell you what happens in smaller group settings that can't possibly take uh, place as well in this size. We get to know each other deeper, and we get to be known deeper. Uh, Secondly, we get to discuss and apply scripture. This is a very one-way communication style intentionally. Small groups are the other half of that. Uh, Thirdly, there's belonging and accountability. And finally, there's also the use of spiritual gifts. The idea of a large group gathering and a small group gathering supplement and enhance one another. Therefore, if you are participating in one without the other, you are missing things. Let me just tell you a few ways that community groups change things. It changes relationships. The best way I've seen at this church in 10 years to assimilate new people is to have them invited into a group. Nine times out of a 10, it's not me inviting them to someone's group. It's one of you in the group welcoming them into your group. It also takes regular attenders and deepens relationships with one another. Secondly, it changes the ministry equation. If each group in our church were functioning as God would have, then they would see, call out, and meet needs. In fact, they'd be ruthlessly committed to say, we're not going to let needs go unmet in this church. And I tell you, there's so much that doesn't bubble up to the church staff doing the work of the ministry because it's just getting handled within our groups. And it's awesome to see. Here's a third thing. It changes the teaching and instruction of the church. There are three primary effective ways to to digest God's word. There's your own personal private time. There's the public preaching of scripture like this. And then there are smaller groups of people. And there's some powerful, profound benefits to studying and meeting in smaller groups that if you've never participated in that, you're missing out. Here's another thing. It grows people up. Groups foster spiritual gifts. Not only are they discovered within smaller groups, but they're able to be implemented in a lot of ways. Finally, people are eternally saved from their sin and welcomed in in groups. We've had plenty of stories of people who came to a community group thinking they're Christians, hearing something from the scripture and saying, Gadzooks! I don't know if they technically said that. I don't think I'm saved! 
I prayed a prayer. I thought my parents were saved and that it transferred vicariously to me. I think I need to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. And that formed and happened in a small group. Friends, right now in the summertime, we hit a pause on a lot of our groups. But this fall, in September, we're going to do an on-ramp. And I want you to prep right now to take the simple step of joining a group. Here's the second thing, is that we embrace across lines. I had a really hard time coming up with the terminology for this because it's not just one category. Sin divides us. Sin draws up lines that are hard and impenetrable. One of the lines that we cross are are generation lines. Let's play a game for a second. I want you to match the trait on the one side to the age of the other side. If you had to sort of characterize a certain age group with a certain character trait, which would you do? So let's start off. Wisdom. Who, who, what do you think for wisdom? Which trait? Olders. How about energy? Okay, children, teens, I heard. How about stamina? No one has stamina. They're all like... Oh, blah, blah, blah. This, is, this is just to test our division quotient. How about fun? <laughs> yeah, all of you are like, either I'm not having any fun or we're all fun. Uh, how about joy? There's something about children that that just exudes joy. How about innovation? Again, maybe a little division one there, okay? So no matter how you line these up, I want you to look at all of those traits on the one side. And imagine robbing a church family, intentionally or unintentionally, by excluding some generation of our church. Do you see the picture? We want all of those. We want all of those in our family. So it's really important to put up with one another, to do the hard work of getting along. We prayed at the start of this church, God help us not become this homogenous, just one life stage. Everyone has the same affinities and likes for things. We don't want any of that. We don't want to try to manufacture it. We want the gift of your spirit. And I want you to look around on any given Sunday. There are people in here who, according to the flesh, shouldn't be friends. They shouldn't be in deep relationship. They shouldn't be caring for one another as they do. Psalm 89.1 says this, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. People want to know, what is your church like? I say this, it's filled with brothers and sisters. There's all kinds of other lines and dividing and terms that people want to put on us, like grandparent, young family, single, student. But our focus is the fact that we're all siblings. We all have the same father. Here's the second marvelous thing God's doing here, and we're embracing this and running forward, and that is this. That we, in terms of embracing across lines, it's not just generational lines, it's language lines. One of the things that happen in day one here is as you walk the neighborhood and you just pray, God, who do we have to minister to? You will hear a whole lot of Spanish. And so from day one at this church, we have prayed, God, would you help uh, minister to the people who are here? And so for the sake of Jesus, we reach out and welcome those who are not naturally the same as us. Spanish should be a dividing line. It is a dividing line in many parts of our culture. What we've seen is this. We see it as a marker of the mystery of God's grace, that even those who don't share a language, even those who don't share our customs or our natural affections, share in one Holy Spirit, are saved by the same gospel, and are one family. 
People want to know about our church. I say, here's one of the great things God's doing at our church. We have three services, we have two languages, and we have one church. We are one church family. This is a great picture. This is from our all-church camping trip last year. I love it for a few reasons. One is it's a reminder that coming up Labor Day is our all-church camping trip. Secondly, I love, there's a lot of fantastic things going on in this picture. But one of the best is this guy right here. Um, That's Angel. Uh, Angel is trying to high-five the drone, evidently. Um, You know, you can reach out to embrace someone, but if they don't embrace back, there's only so much you can do one-sided. God has knit our third-service Spanish speakers and our English-speaking community in some powerful ways, and this guy has led the way. Angel and Sandra are a gift to this church. Further than that, they're a gift to people all around this church that speak Spanish and need to hear of the love of Jesus. He's the coach. He's the one that has led the way in not only receiving the embrace, but in embracing back. And I think this truism is is true in, in many sectors of life. If there's enough humility, anyone can learn from anyone else. The old can learn from the young, and the young can learn from the old. Those who speak your language and those who don't. Those who were born here and those who immigrated here. And what God's doing here is a fantastic picture of that. I just want to put up on the screen some action steps. These are actually from a few weeks ago. I'm not going to cover them in detail. You can go listen to the podcast. But those are some simple steps for you. Let me close by saying this. If you are young and energetic, there's a chance you're also naive. Let me just say you're valued here. You'll be given room to try and grow and fail at this church. Older people at this church will be here to listen and guide you in your latest passion. Overheard at at Neighborhood Bible Church is this from a college student. I love that if we have an idea here at this church, we can voice it and be empowered to do something about it. I loved overhearing that. We have rejected the idea of Youth Sunday as the time when all the youth get to have a say in the church. We think every Sunday is Youth Sunday, and you'll just see that around here. If you are older in this church, it's possible that you're forgetful also. You may have forgotten when I just said, let me say it again. If you're older at this church, it may be that you're also forgetful. Hear me. You are valued here. You are needed here. The young people of this church will graciously listen to the story that you've already told three times because you're our grandparents in the faith and we love you and we're going to be gracious about that. Okay, maybe it's five, six, seven times. At some point, we may nudge you and pull you aside. Your life experience and your wisdom are needed. One of the things that Ben youth in doing years ago was this thing called Pray 21. It matched up young people with older people in the church. There are some relationships today, years and years later, that are still going on because of that. If you are divorced or not married here, you are valued. It's amazing, church, to see singles investing in, caring for, and joyfully coming alongside parenting efforts with Foster the Bay. Overheard at this church. Dave, if you see my wife, say hi to her for me. Here's why that's such a poignant statement. This is said from a person who longs to be married to a godly person, longs to start a family, and in saying this, it was this gracious reminder to say, I'm hurting, I have longings, I'm lonely, 
but he just did it in such a gentle way, and it reminded me to pray for him. I love that people in that life stage feel welcomed here and loved here and valued and needed here. If terrible is the only way that you can describe your earthly family, you're valued here. God has and will continue to do incredible works. Overheard at this church is this. I was strangled from a broken family, and I experienced all that I longed for for the first time at this church. Let me warn you if you're new, we will let you down. We're a very imperfect family, but by God's grace, we're going to move forward so that more are able to do that. Doesn't it show off a great and glorious God that he calls us family, and he's able to make us family from all these different backgrounds? I'm going to give you one more, and I close with this. If you are producing small people in your home, and you bring them to this church, you are valued here. Uh, That means there are some noise considerations. I tell people all the time that when I hear babies crying and moms doing mama dance in the back trying to keep their kid calm, those are signs of life to me. I don't want a mausoleum. I don't want a museum. I don't want it silent in this church. A good rule of thumb is that if five or ten people are starting to look back at you, consider the cry room over here, a wall over. But otherwise, it will generally be noisier at this church. If you love a silent church, you'll hate our church. Here's secondly, there's a cleanliness considerations. This was overheard by me to my wife this week. I said, children just break things, huh? She said, yes, they do. I said, okay, thank you. I just had to reset my brain that kids mess stuff up. They break things. They, they put things where they shouldn't belong, and, and they just make a lot of messes. That's sort of the life stage that's there. If you're about to have a kid or thinking of a, of a kid, realize that pee and puke and other liquids, just, they just come from these, from these little bodies, and it's just part of the deal. Usually at the worst times, by the way. There's more to that story. All right, um, <clears throat> There's also financial considerations. Isn't it brilliant of God's design? It's free to live as a family. Anyone can do this. Anyone can live for free as a family. But let me tell you budget-wise how we invest in families here at this church. We invest in child care. That means this. We have women that want to meet and gather for Bible studies uh, in, in midweek mornings. We might as well build a physical wall keeping them from coming if we don't consider how can we help them care for their families. How can we help them care for their children so that they can get along? We are going to press into that all the more this coming fall. Secondly, we gift people this resource. We believe that the Bible teaches quite clearly that the ones who are responsible for these little kiddos to be discipled is the parents. And so we gift you with this resource every single week in your bulletin and 24 hours a day on the website is letting you know which story we are on for which week. It happens to be this story right here. You can't read that unless you have super eyes. Here's the point. We want to resource you as a family. We want to come alongside with what you're doing. And by gifting you this, we're investing in family, saying it's really important that you're in the word with your family.